0: Hi, I'm Jonathan, and I'm excited to share with you just a few highlights of how God has used us to impact lives this year. In April, we hosted approximately 150 leaders from around the country for our first Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit, and this event laid the foundation for what we hope will become a strong collaboration of leaders and ministries to equip local churches in championing God's design and purpose for sex in their communities. Future summits are already being planned and scheduled around the country. and We're excited about that. And the new Grace-Based Recovery Small Group curriculum was released in August. Now this resource is designed to help people suffering from addiction and those close to them to understand God's grace and why it's the only path to true freedom. Monthly training webinars are being held to educate leaders on how to best use this curriculum. We also launched two new courses on our Pure Life Academy training platform. Made for Purity is a course to help men and women understand and apply God's design for sexuality in their lives. And this is a useful course for churches to generate healthy conversations around the topic of sexuality. Parenting for Purity is our comprehensive course for parents to engage their children from ages 5 to 18 on all kinds of issues related to sexuality. It's a great resource to help parents navigate this hyper-sexualized culture. As 2018 closes out, will you help us finish strong and start 2019 with positive momentum? Your partnership is vital to us fulfilling our mission to engage, equip, and expand the Christian pure sex leadership community. We really are better together. You can join with us at give.bebroken.com or just call 210-822-8201. Thanks so much for your time. May God bless you today. Keep pressing on. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio Broadcast. We are glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and we actually have back with us uh, Jessica McDaniel from Austin. And so, Jessica, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks. It's good to be back.
0: Yeah. So, before we dive in, uh, because I think we've got a really good topic to talk about this week, I just want to let listeners know, you know, we are just a matter of days, really away from the end of this year. And as you all know, we are a nonprofit ministry, so the only way that you are seeing us or hearing us on this program is because we've had just generous partners come alongside and uh, donate to this ministry. So with just a matter of days left. You know, we went into this year end with a $75,000 need in order for us to be able to really finish the year strong and and enter into 2019 just with some momentum. So if you would like to come alongside and help us really meet and exceed that goal, simply go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate button and we would be happy to have you partner with us. Well, Jessica, I'm so glad that you were able to come back because, you know, last time we had you on, uh, we were talking about you know what happens when a betrayed spouse becomes the one who then betrays.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but then, as part of that conversation, especially when we got to the part about what does healing look like in that relationship, one of the things we talked about was hey, confession is necessary. As as much as you wanted, Jessica, to figure out a way to Mm -hmm. say, how can I deal with this in my life and with my husband without ever having to confess it? uh, Clearly, you've discovered that that's not possible. (laughs) So let's spend a little bit more time in this episode really trying to unpack what does disclosure look like? What does confession look like for a couple? Mm -hmm. And not maybe just, I'd like for us to get to where it's not just about, Um, initial, like maybe there's a mountain of disclosure that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to talk about what does that look like as an intimacy builder throughout a marriage, realizing that as much as we would like to just have one moment in time where disclosure is necessary and we never have to confess or disclose again, the reality is we all know we're not perfect. And so there's going to be Moments and maybe even seasons where we're going to have to continue to confess and disclose. So, yeah. I'd like to hand it off to you. And and uh, before we actually do that, for the listeners who maybe did not hear your last program with us, why don't you just let them know who you are, mm-hmm. where you're coming from, and and what kind of work you do?
1: Yeah. So I'm a licensed professional counselor at the Austin Stone Counseling Center here in Austin, Texas, and I work with mostly women and couples. Uh, in in a few different areas, but specifically infidelity, betrayal trauma, um, as well as uh, anything related to kind of parenting, postpartum health, I I do kind of that work as well. And so what's interesting is, as you were talking about, how can couples get to a point of of confessing regularly, you know, where it's not just a one-time disclosure because of a, a big dark sin, but but let that be maybe a rhythm in their marriage. I think most of us kind of buy into the belief that can't it just be this big thing one time because it's the big one's really hard. And so the thought of having to uh, endure pain on a maybe a weekly or monthly basis can can freak a lot of people out. It can It can scare a lot of my clients actually.
0: And especially when a lot of the struggles that we have on an ongoing nature might link back to those bigger disclosures right I remember just to tell a little story here real quick I, I remember in the first few years of my own recovery of my wife and I getting back together after all of my you know junk and our separation and all of that that anytime I had to confess anything that was related to my history it would it would like attach us back to that, season of where everything that was huge was uncovered. And so I get it. It is difficult. So why don't why don't you help us figure out like, okay, what does this look like then? I mean, not only we've got to deal with the big stuff or the big moments, I should say. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to rank, you know, what we have to confess because that makes us then start to be arbiters of our own, like, well maybe I that's a little thing. I'm not going to need to talk about that. Sure.
1: Sure. Um,
0: but but Take us through that process of, okay, what does it look like, first of all, for a big moment of disclosure to happen? And then how do we maybe move more towards this becoming a rhythm in our relationship that doesn't have to derail us every single time we have to share something difficult?
1: Yeah. So often by the time couples, um, arrive on my couch in my counseling office, there's, there's usually been a big disclosure. There's usually been right. a big crisis or event, And so they are realizing their need for counseling, that they don't want to walk through it alone, or, or they've been trying and they don't know how to now walk through it alone. And so by the time they get to me, we're kind of to that point of, of trying to normalize what just happened, trying to validate that that was a good conversation even though it was really hard and painful and may have ended in conflict and to then figure out what does it look like now to continue to keep the door open to this conversation Mm -hmm. so oftentimes wives will come in and say yeah we talked about it um, and and he didn't have anything to confess and so I'm I'm good you know like I don't want to bring it up again and I actually push women especially to say, well, hey, have you just kind of asked how your husband's doing? Or have you confessed sin to him? And usually the answer is, I don't want to, do I have to?
0: Yeah, well, that's just it. I I see this, I've seen this in my own marriage, I see it in other couples, that when you get sort of this um, lopsided perspective in the Mm -hmm. sense that, okay, Jonathan, committed these egregious, horrible sexual sins of the deepest betrayal possible in a relationship. And so it seems like, okay, we now have an immediate imbalance where Mm -hmm. Jonathan's struggle and sin Mm -hmm. far overshadows anything that his wife Elaine could possibly be struggling with. Mm -hmm. So if she's having a struggle with, you know, wanting to grab an Oreo, well, Hey, that no need to confess that. There's no need. You know what I mean? So I think that's another thing that plays. We start to create this Im- arbitrary imbalance that says your sin is worse than mine. So you actually have to confess, but I don't need to.
1: Right. And that's the trap that my husband and I got into personally, because for, for the few years before I, um, I moved towards my own unfaithfulness, there was a lot of um, awkward and confusing times of confession. And uh, it would often be, well, what have you done? When did you do it? I would, I would just kind of go down the list of questions, almost like in attack mode. He's in defense mode, and I, I never really thought about, well, how have I sinned against the Lord this week, or against my own husband, and how can I bring that too? So, what I start to encourage couples to do is to say, first, take a look at where you have fallen short just this week. Mm. And can there be a space that you and your husband have or, or you and your wife have that, that is intentional on a time of confession?
0: I, I love what you're saying. There's a lot in what you're saying that even between the lines I would love for us to unpack. Because one of the things that I, I, I want to hear you talk about is... You know what's even the motivation for confession? Like, what's the point? I think sometimes what happens is not only do we get what I'm talking about here with this imbalance, right, where somebody's sin we think is worse than others, but we start to think of confession as, uh, especially for the one who who needs to confess. I think the fear there is we look at it as like I'm giving ammunition to my spouse, like I'm giving my dirt over to my spouse, and I think when we have that perspective, that confession is like leverage. We have the wrong concept of confession, but what I love what you're hear, I love what i 'm hearing from you is you 're actually saying no confession needs to be something that sort of points back towards me
1: mm-hmm.
0: so yes. it 's not about what i 'm trying to extract from the other person, but it 's actually about me examining my own heart and saying, "Listen, I already know i 'm living with an imperfect mate, but i 'm mm-hmm. also an imperfect mate, and so what is there in me that i 'm hiding or that i 'm not?" you know, bringing into the light that needs to come into light. So I like the fact that you're kind of shifting Mm -hmm. the paradigm. You're shifting the, the motivation for confession, not from being like, what can I pull out of you? But what is it that I need to reveal about myself?
1: Yeah. And not, what do I have to do just so that God will be happy with me? Because Mm -hmm. that's not the gospel. The gospel is God has already freely loved us and sent his son for us so that we would be, forgiven of all of our sins. And then as a result of being hidden in Christ, we have right standing with God already. Mm. So because we already have right standing with God, when we have run from him in our sin, he's calling us back to him. And so I think the motivation first for confession is to turn back to the father, you know, Psalm 51, where it talks about search me, God, and know my heart and try me. We have to first ask God, to discern our heart and to sift us. And then when we confess to our spouse, it's an overflow of what God has already done. And it's confessed to one another so that you may be healed. So forgiveness is between you and the Lord, but confession to your spouse is so that you may experience, I, I believe, the fullness of healing that God has for you.
0: Yeah, because I do think there's a difference between what we, what we claim in theory and theology and yes. what we actually experience in our lives and in reality, and I think that I think the bridge that connects those two is what we are willing to speak into the light. Because listen, I, can, I experienced this in my own life. I can't tell you how many times before I started recovery, I confessed to God oh yeah, thousands yeah. of times, yep. and yet didn't experience any freedom. Even the freedom that he had already claimed for me, I didn't experience that in my life until I got in a group with other men and go, let me tell you who I really am. Let me tell you what I've done. And also confess to my wife. There's there's something about speaking that out. Yes. But I like what you're saying is that when we understand that our 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 motivation is our, our right standing with God, our motivation is mm-hmm. how are we living before our maker rather yeah. than you know, kind of playing politics with my spouse. But the other thing about it is I'm hearing you speak as one who clearly has now had a lot of experience in this. Mm-hmm. So let's think now about our listeners who are, yeah. their teeth are chattering right now, they're petrified mm-hmm. because whichever spouse they are, they know they've got things to confess. Yeah. And they're thinking, oh, you two sound great. I mean, sounds like it's so easy. Sounds like, oh, this is about my relationship with God. and all we're coming from a place of years of experience now being in this and we don't want to we don't want to diminish the the fears and the real anxieties that surround this issue of confession so why don't you help kind of talk through maybe some of our listeners who are out there that this hasn't happened yet but they Mm -hmm. know that confession needs to happen how would you help sort of coach them towards that
1: so it's been really powerful to me to have uh, the husband or wife who does come in, who has not confessed yet. And they, um, have had the courage to, to share that with me, you know, in a, in a safe, confidential setting. And, and so I think the Lord is going to begin to use that, right. That, that courage, that bravery of stepping into the light with a with another human being. And, and to be able to then say, okay, I'm, you know, because if people are coming into me, they're, they're hoping and trusting that I'm going to lead them to a place of, of health and healing. And so when they come to me and wonder, not just should I, should I confess or not, but man, I'm ready to, and I am terrified and I need help. I have, I have someone in particular right now that I'm working with who, and on one hand wants to confess to have that burden removed, just the heavy weight that is, that is um, really keeping them stuck, but also wondering what does this mean for my marriage? And I, I share over and over again, you have to trust that the outcome and the result can't be the motivation for doing it in the first place. So we begin to talk about what would it be like to confess this to your spouse? So sometimes I have them write it out and read through it with me um to be able to think about who else in my life do I have as a support that I can begin to open up to and and how can I even begin to pray that my spouse could receive what I'm about to share with them.
0: Yeah, I love what you're saying there, especially about outcomes, because I think that's immediately where all the fears come from. Yeah. Is they've painted... 100 scenarios in their mind of this conversation and I find it fascinating that none of those conversations end in an embrace and (laughs) Forgiveness, (laughs) it's all like you're kicked to the curb. You're out. I'm taking the kids. You know, it's all it's all negative Mm -hmm. And and so therefore it keeps them locked in that prison of unconfession Um, and so I think fear is one of those huge things that has to be addressed head-on Mm-hmm. not diminishing the reality of it, not saying it's no big deal, just get over mm-hmm. it, you know, quote unquote, have courage.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like,
0: I think there needs to be avenues that we create. And I like what you're saying about, mm-hmm. are, is there a counselor? Is there a trusted friend? Are there some people that might be able to help help you begin to unpack that or even even construct how you're going to communicate this because a lot of times i mean i know that my confession was born out of a place of great selfishness and self-centeredness because i was suicidal and there was a part of me that was just saying i you know i'm probably gonna take my life anyway so i don't want to write a letter and blah, here i'm just going to spit it out all on my wife that's a horrible motivation for making confession i mean even though the confession was necessary i think there's ways that we can go about it that are that are empathetic, that are recognizing that this is going to hurt another person
1: yeah um, and loving to our spouse, I think sometimes we forget that um, we in our own selfishness, are not able to see our spouse with empathy and compassion, and so even trying to put yourself in their shoes, not from a place of worst case scenario, but hey, with what you know about your spouse and how they operate and act and feel what is that like to imagine being in their shoes and Mm -hmm. can you identify with that to such a degree that when you think about confessing that you can see them as another person who is going to express and experience deep sadness and brokenness and that you could withstand that discomfort to enough to let them have their feelings, to let their feelings be allowed.
0: And I think that empathy is something that serves you all along the way as you think about mm-hmm. confession. And what I mean by that is, yes, if you've never disclosed, you know, something that you've been holding as a secret, that is going to be a big, kind of big, hairy, painful moment, right? Yeah. But if you can learn from that, and and hold on to all of the emotion that that stirs mm-hmm. with the mindset that you want to become more empathetic. Yeah. That will help you down the road even before confession is necessary, because guess what? The next time you think of doing something mm-hmm. that you know would require confession to this other person, yeah. if you're developing empathy for how that would cause them to feel, the golden rule, right? Doing others, you have them doing you. Right. It might cause you even to resist more temptation, <laughs> because right. you're you're developing. So that might be one of these things. Talk about that a little bit about the 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 habit and the rhythm of confession, actually mm-hmm. aiding and producing and and cultivating intimacy in a relationship because it does help you produce or or uh, be more empathetic.
1: Yeah. So what? And, and I'll just kind of speak maybe personally how my husband and I do this. We we have a regular time of. Uh, we call it kind of a marriage check-in as a, as a recommendation from our counselor years ago. And so we, we have a time once a week where we don't just say, okay, what's your sin and what's your sin? Okay, great. That's done with, but we really get into how are you doing and, and what it, what was it like to kind of struggle with that this week? Or how can I be praying for you? And so we've been doing that for the past, gosh, I don't know, at least three, four years now. And, and we go even deeper than we thought we would. So we, every once in a while, we'll kind of talk about childhood things or other wounds. And so this regular process of confession for a couple opens up so much more. And I think that's what builds intimacy. I'm learning all of these different parts about my spouse that I would have never known, or sharing parts of myself that mm-hmm. I would have never shared if we didn't have this regular rhythm of, of confession and, and and I think it's key to say not just confession but praying for and over one another to remember that um, it's not left just exposed there you know out on the on the dining room table but it's truly something then that you can entrust back to God and so it's intimacy with one another and with God kind of at the same time
0: let's let's camp out there for a little bit on this idea of the, the check-in and that kind of stuff because yeah help our listeners understand because, you, you know, they might hear that and go, oh, that sounds great, but I can tell you how that would go in my relationship. <laughs> right. I would imagine that there are probably some, maybe a handful of just some ground rules mm-hmm. for having that kind of conversation. Why don't you help our listeners think on a practical level of like, what would that check-in look like for them? What would be the the ground rules, so to speak, for that conversation? Like, for instance, yeah. I'll give you a little for instance, when my wife and I got back together and we were working through all of our stuff, um, we started we we sort of had to establish kind of rules for communication.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, our, what we called them was fair fighting rules. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. how can we fight fair? I know this doesn't isn't a, uh, necessarily about con- confession, but it's the same kind of concept. If you got to have some ground rules for how you're going to have these conversations, like mm-hmm. one of ours was: listen, divorce is never mentioned. That yep. word is never spoken. That is never an idea that we mentioned. We can we can fight and, you know, tooth and nail about whatever, but yep. that is not something we ever, so we've sort of drawn a boundary there. Yes. What would be some of the boundaries or maybe some of the guardrails for what you're talking about, about creating a safe space for mm-hmm. couples to have these kinds of confession and prayer times?
1: Yeah, I would say the first one is when you pick a day and time, stick to it. Uh, just like you would put on your calendar, you know, your calendar, kids baseball game or church on Sunday morning, you know that that is gonna be reserved for that specific thing. So you're not making other plans. Um, you know, if you, if you need to reschedule it, you have to reschedule it. And, and I would say in a very practical level, don't let it go longer than an hour. Um, if you If you are on a roll and you're just having this great, beautiful conversation by all means, but after about 45 minutes to an hour, one or both of you is gonna to start to check out one or both of you is not going to be really uh, engaged any longer. So put a, a shorter time frame on it so that you can kind of build up that muscle. And exactly like you said, there are going to be certain words and um, languages that, that are not appropriate. So to say whatever we share in this time, um, we're going to take a little bit of time individually to process that and we can come back to it. But if in this moment it's, uh it's difficult to work through and I don't think I can be kind in my in my response. I can say I'm gonna take that in and receive it before we give a response. And then I, I think the last one which my husband's great about reminding me on is I've got to use I statements. Mm. Not just the I feel, I think, but anytime I go into well you did this and you did that and so therefore I felt this way, it it's attacking. So be careful of Judging and attacking language, and instead being willing to say, "Man, I'm." So, for instance, uh, when we have these check-ins, I still have some nervousness that my husband might confess a relapse. Yeah. Um, you know that that maybe he's looked at pornography or something like that, and it's been a long enough period of time where where I don't believe that's the case, but a part of me begins to feel a little anxious. So when I say, "Gosh, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm just feeling a little anxious today," because I know we're gonna talk. You know, just about how we're doing in our life. Um, but this is how I'm working through that anxiety instead of, you know what, I, I'm feeling like you're untrustworthy. And, right. and you, you probably did something to me this week, didn't you? You know, I just, I, I think that I slipped into that regularly. And so I had to really begin to own what am I feeling? And so I know I'm getting a little counselor as I talk, but those are some oh, that's of the- good.
0: And I, I think another thing, too, is kind of getting back to this this theme of empathy. Mm-hmm. Another thing, too, is I, I think it's great in, in the sense of, yes, keep the focus in terms of the confession on what do I need to bring out? What do I need yes. to, to share? What am I struggling with? That kind of thing. Yeah. But I think also in that same vein, thinking about empathy, those are great conversations where you can move from what I'm kind of putting out on the table mm-hmm. to how can I help you? And so when we have that mindset of, because if I think about this, think about what a relationship could look like if both spouses are owning their own sin, therefore that's what really confession is, confession is saying, I'm agreeing with what's true. If I did that, I'm, I'm just confessing, I'm agreeing with it. Imagine a, a couple, if both spouse spouses are owning their own sin and seeking to actually serve one another. Yeah. It's like I mean really, where's there room for separation? Where's there room for mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't make the the relationship easy.
1: yeah,
0: what I think it does is it it creates that the strength of that foundation of saying mm-hmm. that's really what love is. Yeah. Love is saying, I already know mm-hmm. that you're a broken human being that struggles with sin. The fact that you're putting it on the table and that I actually want to serve you yeah. is a good thing. It's it's going to build a bond. It's going to create a strength to the relationship. And that's, that's what I think the enemy does. I think the enemy comes in and says, mm-hmm. if you show that you're weak, especially with men, this is, uh, I'm speaking as a man now.
1: Mm-hmm. I think as
0: men, the enemy comes in and says, listen, if you confess and show and admit that you are weak, then she's going to you know, think less of you and she's not going to be wanting to be around you. And yeah. in experience, I've found just the opposite to be true in my marriage. When I'm vulnerable, when I express my weakness, when I confess, yeah. it's like it creates a super glue in my wife that she's going, even if that was hard to hear, I'm I'm more attracted to you. I'm, I want to be with you more because you're real instead of a phony baloney plastic, you know, Superman.
1: Yeah. And until you, you, you take the risk of trying you'll never know what that experience can be like and it is it has been so amazing to me to see couples again and again on my couch almost at two ends of the couch and and they start to kind of talk about these vulnerable things and scary things that maybe they've never really been able to verbalize themselves or to one another and slowly but surely they're like inching closer and closer on the couch. And so our, our mind tells us in a way, and you're right, the enemy would would lead us to believe that is going to push the other person away. But really when, when we're feeling vulnerable, what do we want? We want connection, right? We want somebody to move towards us. And I believe that God designed marriage in such a way that our spouses have the ability to move towards us when we are feeling weak. And vulnerable, yeah. and and it is just it's it's beautiful to get to witness that reality, even though it challenges everything that a person would assume. All
0: right. Well, we are about out of time, Jessica. This has been a great conversation. But why don't you share with our listeners just how they can get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing in your practice?
1: Yeah. So um, you can find me at AustinStoneCounseling dot org. Uh, we have a, a full practice of counselors um, from a biblical counseling perspective. I realized I didn't mention this last time, but I also lead a group for women. Um, I, yeah. I call it a sufficient grace group. And it's for women who have been affected by uh, a husband's unfaithfulness in marriage. And so you can find that through our website as well. And it's an eight week course that I lead just in person in Austin, Texas. Sometimes it's great to have that face to face interaction with yeah. other women breaks the shame.
0: Wow. Well, this has been a great conversation. And thank you so much, Jessica, for being with us.
1: Thank you. It was my
0: pleasure. Yeah. And of course, listeners, we're always glad that you're with us. And we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.